Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where today my guest on the island is Connor Fitzgerald. Connor hails from Cork, Ireland, where he's been building quality into teams for almost 20 years now. The last six of those have been spent at Populo, where he's currently an engineering manager for quality. You may well know him from his work in the community. He was the co-founder of the Miniature Testing Cork meetup five years ago, but his involvement in speaking goes back a lot further than that with nine years being spent at the Cork Toastmasters Club in various roles, all the way up to and including President. Welcome, President Connor. Oh, thank you, Neil. That's uh, quite the introduction you're giving me there. <laughs> Is it like the American presidents? Is it like once you've been president, for, are you president for life? Yeah, there's a certain uh, tradition goes with it, yeah. So if you've been president, you're, you're asked to events afterwards and things like that. Very nice. How did you get involved with them in the first place? So I suppose like a lot of people, uh, Neil, I got involved because I wanted to improve my public speaking skills. It just felt like a good area to invest in. But I had no plan beyond that at that stage. I never thought that I'd end up speaking at meetups and then speaking at conferences back then. I was just trying to build up the courage to speak to a small room of strangers. Um, so it's worked out quite well. It's, I, I'm really glad it's, uh, that it's a journey. I went with Toastmasters. I found it really valuable. Mm. So what does a, a typical Toastmasters session look like? Do you, do you plan talks in advance or is it sort of done on the fly? I, actually, that's a great setup, actually, because that's uh, you get to you can do uh, both skills. So in some instances, you're going to do uh, prepared speeches. So, you know, maybe, you know, a couple of weeks in advance that you're going to do a talk. It'll be five to seven minutes. You'll deliver it on the night and then somebody will actually deliver two minutes of feedback to you. So somebody's in the audience, they're making notes, see how you how you uh, performed on the night, and then they'll stand up and give you two minutes of feedback. And then the other part of of the meeting is impromptu speaking. So you're given a topic on the fly, and then you try to speak for two minutes on that topic. So you get to, you get to practice both skills, prepared speeches and impromptu speaking as well. Mm, I think I definitely need to drill one more than the other. I've, I've got a fair amount of experience with, with public speaker conferences, but the, the latter version there, which... In the tester community, we do a lot with PowerPoint karaoke. That still puts the fear at me. For as much as I think I would love to try it, I also have a fear of it. Yeah. You, you might like to pop along to a meeting yourself sometime. I might do. My uh, evenings are at a premium at the moment, as I'm sure you found out just in uh, arranging a recording with me. But um, you know, as my son grows up, I will be able to do more things than I have been for a while. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to doing something like that. Um, for, yeah. for, test, for testers who are out there who have a story to tell but do perhaps have an aversion to speaking any advice with, with how to to start putting your voice out there yeah like one thing actually would be like i suppose toastmasters is a very good organization and there's a lot of parallels with the ministry of testing in that it's a global organization it's focused a lot on self-improvement and it's got the concept of the, of the large conferences and then it's got the concept of the clubs in look in people's locality just like the meetups but something more specific to that is um, the first part of advice I was actually give was, would come from a tester you may know, Hugh uh, McCampbell. And he gave a piece of advice to me before was to start very small, just tweet an idea mm. and see if there's a reaction. Then if that, you know, if one of those tweets get a reaction, write a blog, 
after you write a blog, maybe do a presentation to one team at work, then maybe to the, the engineering department at your work, then, you know, try it out at a meetup. And then if you've gone that far, maybe submit an abstract to a conference. So the idea with that is you're starting very small and building up your courage all the time. Or So you could do this over like a year or something like that so that you're building up your courage over time um, to get, you know, to, to get that idea to bigger audiences along the way. Yeah, and I, th- I think within that, you've got to a really key point, which is that it's not just about building up your confidence about speaking in front of larger and larger audiences, although that is part of it, but it's also building in the opportunity for feedback and understanding in a safe environment, what could I do to have done that better? Or were there parts of that that um, maybe I should have shortened? Uh, actually, at TestPass UK recently, there was a, a, a series that was referenced by uh, Nithin, who was speaking, uh, a series um, on YouTube called Super Voice, which is actually specifically around allowing testers to practice their speaking skills and get feedback from a panel of really experienced testers. Um, If you're not familiar with that series, I'll link to a couple of the episodes in the show notes because as a concept, that's something I'd love to see us doing a lot more of. Yeah, I must check that out myself. Thanks for the tip. Mm. Well, that's a lot of talk about Toastmasters, but then we're going to talk about testing. That's what we're here for. Before we do that, time to pick song number one, Connor. Um, Is there kind of a pattern running through your songs? Yeah, so the the five songs that I've chosen are different musical tastes at different points in my life. So like often we know that our musical tastes change over time. So this is the music that I began, I started with as, as a young teenager and then all the different music that I listened to and each song represents a phase of that. Um, and I think a lot of people will resonate with that, that they they really love different bands at different times of their life for different reasons. The name of the song is Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. That was somehow the first appearance on the podcast for Nirvana with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Now, Connor, you and I were talking recently at Test Bash UK. I trailed at the end of the last episode that I knew who I was going to be speaking to this month because we've been speaking at the conference. Uh, and I didn't I didn't get you on that episode because, as I said, I've got an hour of your time next month. So let's uh, let's save it for then. So now is your chance to talk about your experiences of, of being at Test Bash. You were positioned in the so-called AMA zone where people go and speak to uh from attendees and speakers, what was that like? Yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. We at the meetup stand and talking to people about their interest in meetups, whether it was to start a new one or maybe to perhaps regenerate one, uh, a club that's uh, a meetup that's already in an existing city. Uh, at, also at the stand-up, we, we took turns. So there was also Hillary from Detroit and Petrus from Athens. And of course, myself representing Cork, so it was nice to have people with different experiences with different meetups. The, we had some really great interest at the stand. Uh, and um, it was people who wanted advice in many cases, how, how to get a meetup started, or if the meetup hadn't run for a while you know, due to the pandemic, then perhaps uh, was there any tips for those people to get the meetup running again in person? 
I think that was the thing that was really noticeable from me because I was sat two or three tables over from you. So I, I got to listen in and overhear a few a few bits. And that's what made the AMA zone very different to a, a Q&A at the end of a conference talk is that someone who has a specific interest in doing something like setting up a local meetup can ask you really specific, targeted, frank questions that you would never ask in a Q&A because it would, no one else in the room is interested, but it's deeply personal to that person. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there was a lot of people, it was one-to-one -one in many instances and that really worked for people because like you're saying, it allowed them that opportunity to ask whatever questions they, want, they wanted to without the hesitation of having to ask that in a wider group. So that one-to-one -one style conversation at the, at the meetup stand, I think was really valuable for people. Yeah, and obviously the Ministry of Testing is trying to keep as much of that talk going post-event as possible, which is why there are things like the club where you can go on and, and have talks on an ongoing basis. But there were lots of experiments going on at TestPass this year, including a multi-track format for the first time. I know you were focused mostly on the AMA zone, but did you have the chance to wander outside of there and check out any talks or workshops? Yeah, I, I was very lucky to get to try out uh, some things. Like There was a lot of choice. Like you're saying, there was talks, uh, workshops, there was activities, AMA, um, AMAs, huge choice. Um, and I thought it was all a really high standard. Um, so there was like, yeah, lots of like really interesting things. Like some of the things that stood out to me was I have an interest in coaching. Um, mm. You know, being in management is something that I look to develop. So I went to a talk workshop and an activity by Vernon and Stu. Also, you know, Claire Norman did a great talk on coaching as well, which was wonderful. And a big fan of Dan Ashby. So got to go to a talk and a workshop with him. And um, I've been meaning to read the, the book on heuristics that Lena wrote, you know, would you, would you, uh, heuristic, would you heuristic? Yeah. heuristic and tongue tied. <laughs> and uh, I got to see that as well. So I, I want to read that book, but it was nice to get the summary in, in Lena's talk. Um, lots of other things too, that I was able to pop in and out of. And uh, the other nice thing, of course, was a socializing meeting people for the first time in maybe, you know, since the last test bash uh, was held in Manchester, it's first time meeting a lot of these people. So the social side of it was wonderful. Yeah, it, it sounds like we moved in very similar rooms for the entire two days, actually, because I went to a lot of the same ones uh, as you did. Uh, in particular, Vernon and Stu, uh, I spoke to them on the last episode after their talk, but before their workshop. And I went to their workshop afterwards and it was fantastic. Um, not just in terms of talking about what it means to be a good coach and a good listener, but actually we then went into breakout groups and the group that I was in, well, I, I won't provide any details, gave someone some really deep personal insight into an issue that they had um, that was very emotional. And we didn't expect any, none of us expected it to go that way, but it was just intently rewarding for, for all, everyone in that that situation, both the, the person who was serving as coach in that role, the person who was being coached, and there was an observer in the group as well who was just, just, just watching it happen and, and it was it was remarkable and uh yeah i'm uh trying to get vernon lined up for a later episode no spoilers <laughs> and actually you mentioned claire as well claire norman will be our guest next month so unsurprisingly with the way my life is right now coaching is a big interest to me and coaching testers as well as it always will be so uh expect to hear more of those threads on the conference in, in the uh the months to come um all that choice um how, how bad do you get your fomo your fear of missing out yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So people have different strategies. The one thing I found was there was a great app uh, for Test Bash UK. Mm. So that really helped. I, I planned out uh, my schedule for, for the conference. I knew when I'd be at the AMA stand. And then 
I tracked out my time. There is FOMO. Uh, the, I suppose sometimes people wonder, should they go to the workshops because they're not recorded and did it, should mm. they walk back, watch back the talks? But then there's the whole experience of a talk. So there's an element of FOMO when there's so much choice. But uh, I know I, like I chatted to to Richard about this at the conference and we we, we talked about it at Test Bash X in Edinburgh as well. But like, I really agree with our Ministry of Testing and going with the conferences. Like post-pandemic, you know, people probably just don't want to go into a room for several hours and not interact with others. And the wonderful thing about this format is you can go into workshops and activities and interact with people continuously for, for maybe two or three days at a conference, or you can go in and watch your talks if you want some, you know, more kind of downtime and not interact. But all that choice is there for people. And um, I, I, from being there, I don't think I'm the only one who took advantage of all the different options. And uh, it, it's a great format, yeah. But FOMO, yeah, <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Yeah, I, I, that was the only real dilemma for me was wanting to be seen at the talks and to experience the talks live, but also knowing that they are the thing that's being recorded back for later viewing. So uh, for my sins, I skipped a couple of talks to do other things. And it's not that the other things weren't valuable, but I've felt bad for not being at the, the talks I wanted to be at sometimes, but um, it's constantly experimenting and evolving. And, you know, if you were there with a group of you from one company, then you, you know, you have the power to be able to split up and go and cover multiple things at once. It's evolving. It always will be. Uh, but it's uh, like, it, it reminded me of the benefit of being at an in-person event that I haven't done in a long time. We're going to talk more about in-person events, namely meetups in the next section. But before that, uh, what's your second song choice? So my second song choice is Linkin Park, Shadow of the Day. So I started with Nirvana and Nirvana critically acclaimed. Linkin Park aren't seen in the same way, but I really enjoy their music. I know they're not, you know, they don't have the same, how do you say, love of the, of the critics, but it's the music that I've enjoyed and that's all I have to say, yeah. That was Linkin Park with Shadow of the Day, the second appearance on the podcast for Linkin Park, who were also picked back in 2018 by Jem Hill back in the day. Now, we've been talking about events, conferences and meetups of all kinds. I mentioned that you are one of the co-founders of the Ministry of Testing Cork. Um, how did that get off the ground in the first place? Yeah, so many of the listeners will know Rob Meany. Uh, Rob Meany and I had worked together around 2012. And then approximately six years ago, we started to work together again. And we were always discussing testing, you know, we'd go into work, we'd be having breakfast and it was always like, it was nearly the joke of the other people around us, the two of you are always, you know, talking about <laughs> testing. And um, it's just how we always started the day. And then it got us thinking that like, we've no community in Cork, you know, we, we chat about these things a lot and sometimes we talk, talk to our colleagues, but how do we start talking to people in the wider community around Cork? So we're wondering, should we, should we try it out? And and we, we we firstly went about could we get a venue so we were very lucky and there's a concept in in ireland uh where some of the banks uh 
is particularly the Bank of Ireland decided that they, they set up this concept um, whereby some of their premises in the city centres could be used for community style events. So we were able to get that venue for free. And then a sponsor in Cork, um, Dave at Rockford Recruitment, uh, said he'd buy the pizzas for us. So we had a venue, we had pizzas, and then it was speakers. So we couldn't find speakers. So we said, we'll start, you know, we'll talk, uh, we'll be the speakers. And we did that for the first two or three ones. And it it started to roll on from there. Then we started to get speakers in the local community. And then we, we got to the point that people started to travel from Dublin, Belfast. Um, Gwen flew over from Leeds. Uh, we had people like... Um, Dan Billing, we've had Dan Ashby, uh, who've come over, uh, who are speaking at conferences in Cork and then spoke at the meetup the night before. And it just grew and grew from there. So I suppose the legacy of it now, a couple of years later, is just the variety of speakers and the variety of topics they've covered over that time. Yeah, it's a really interesting origin story. I, I've been around the origin of a couple of local meetups. I, I wasn't involved in them, but both Ministry of Testing Cambridge and Peterborough, sort of when they were getting their meetups off the ground, like both of those cities have uh, relatively close-knit communities insofar as there's a danger sometimes with a with a very small or a very like well-known local meetup that it just becomes a zone where companies start to try and poach people off each other so you have to you have to make it more about about the people about the pizzas about the talks and i guess also then it's very similar to your, to your work with toastmasters in that by being a speaker at the first few events yourself, you show people that there is a platform and that it's something that they can do for themselves. Exactly. You then obviously, like all of us, had to pivot online very quickly in 2020. At what point did you realise that the, the meetups weren't going to go ahead as normal and, and how quick was the decision to go, well, well, let's do something else instead? Yeah, so we were quite lucky in that we'd done a hybrid type approach on the run-up to mm. the pandemic. So we had begun to experiment with a hybrid approach where the speaker was uh, remotely on Crowdcast and we had the people in the room. And we'd done that twice. So we'd started to get used, uh, used to using Crowdcast. And that was a very useful platform in the pandemic. In the, I, We became aware quite quickly when people started working from home that they wanted an outlet. Mm. And all the meetups got together globally at the beginning and we all took turns and pretty much every Wednesday night there was a, a speaker. So there was an online meetup. Then after a couple of months of that, we switched to Cork partnered with Belfast and Edinburgh. And we did one every three months, again, online and taking turns. And that format worked very well. And then um, for the last section of the pandemic, then Cork went alone uh, just for a couple of months. Um, and that just kind of brings us up to the end of the pandemic. So we went through different stages at, at different points in the pandemic. Mm. That is interesting to hear. The, the, the very, very first bit of the pandemic, I was completely blind to because uh, our son was born the day before the first lockdown started. So I switched. I was switching off from the world anyway. Like I had no, no even concept of the fact that people were uh, arranging things. And in a way, it's a shame because at any other time, I would have been the first person to be like, yes, I'm cooped up. Let me get involved in all the things. But I, I was rather occupied during that time. Um, thankfully, Touchwood, uh, you know, it looks like we're trying to, um, if not return to normal, then rediscover what something like another new normal would be. Uh, I guess that it's still when you have to take into account buying pizzas or agreeing venues, there's, there's still some risk involved with um, with doing in-person events again. Uh, obviously, Test Bash has just begun tipping its, dipping its toes in it again. Um, 
what does the future hold for MOT Cork? Yeah, so we were, we were involved in the the, the Test Bash uh, home event in June. So we were one of the the meetups who joined it uh, remotely. We were all in a room together and uh, we got a good turnout. Uh, as ever, yeah, there was pizzas. We associated to change up the menu at some stage. <laughs> and uh, it was nice to be involved in it. Then uh, well, one thing we found was that that it was holiday season. You know, it's the first summer after the pandemic. A lot of people are on holidays beyond, you know, really beyond what we'd imagined. So we said we we take a pause during during the summer, and uh, next week we're we're looking to get together and discuss potentially a, a meetup in person in Cork, uh, an in person event, uh, with the option of. Uh, remote attendees joining in over Crowdcast as well. So we're trying to leverage that hybrid approach if possible. Um, so that means the attendees could be online or, or in the room, and then we could alternate the speaker. Then, you know, could we give a speaker in the room or a speaker online? So we want to experiment with that hybrid approach and, and see what works best. Well, it sounds like some some really valuable learnings of um, hopefully what turns out to be a once-in-a-lifetime uh, event for all of us. Um, and if, if anyone else is interested in starting a local meetup, then I'm sure Connor is the person to to come and approach about that. Uh, we'll make sure we give contact details and everything at the end and in the show notes. Uh, but we're going to move on now to talk about not just Connor, the event attendee and organiser, but what you actually do for your day job. Uh, before we do that, at the midway point, what is your third song choice? Okay, so this song is uh, Kings of Leon, Back Down South. The reason I chose Kings of Leon is I'm still a massive fan, but for many years they, they were my favourite band. I was lucky enough to, to see them twice, and uh, I got to see them in Sydney, and I got to see them at Slane Castle in Ireland, which is super. And uh, I went for Back Down South because our musical tastes change over time, and not only do your cha- your tastes change, but mu- bands musical taste changes too. And back down so it wasn't a huge commercial commercial success for Kings of Leon, but that Southern vibe was interesting. They were experimenting, experimenting with something new. And that's why I chose this song. Cool. And we will- I got something here. If you give me one more beer, I'm going to Another band making their first appearance on the podcast, that's Kings of Leon with Back Down South, a song title which I thought Connor might be referring to the brief career uh, student you spent in Australia. How did that come about? Yeah, the, my then girlfriend and, and my wife and I decided to do a round-the-world trip, which was an amazing experience going out through Southeast Asia, uh, traveling some of Australia, and then, of course, to replenish the funds, we worked in Sydney uh, for about a year. And then we got to travel back through uh, South America. So it was a wonderful experience, something we're very glad we did. Uh, that's incredible. I've, I've not thought about that before, almost like a career pit stop to to replenish the funds, but also to to make the trip even possible at all. Uh, when the time comes that I am able to do that scale of traveling, that's something I hadn't really considered that uh, is, is worth thinking about. Uh, you are now working for a company called Populo. For, for those who aren't familiar with Populo, what uh, are the products and solutions that they produce? Yeah, so um, Poplo, uh, which I, I've been working for the last, the last number of years, as you mentioned, 
The way I often describe when I'm doing interviews with candidates and they ask, like, what does Popolo do? How I always describe it is if you're the CEO of a company, you want to communicate with your employees. It might be a large enterprise. You might have 10,000 or maybe tens of thousands of employees. You want to communicate a message to them. You want it on brand. You might want to use more than one channel. You might want to use email. You might want to use mobile. And when those comms are sent out on brand, then you want to figure out what, from a reporting perspective, which channel is the most popular, which group uh, interacted the most, uh, and what articles were really popular. And that's that's Poplar's solution in, in a nutshell. And something that's happened in the last while then is that we were part of a group of three companies now. Uh, one is called uh, FWI, and they do digital signage. And the other company is called SmartSpace, and they do room bookings and desk bookings. So we've gone from being an internal comms company. We've started to work with these to become a workplace solution. So you, see, you can see now that you've got the, the power of that extra channel of the digital signage, but then you've got the whole employee experience as well, where, you know, from booking the hot booking their hot desk to booking a room they need for a meeting after in the in the office so we've become a full workplace solution uh, the three companies coming together yeah it, it does sound like a good time to be working for a company that takes a hybrid uh, approach to things uh, I, I guess working within a company that is aimed to ease and improve communication finding yourself in a position where everyone in the world suddenly wants to communicate better remotely that must have been um, fortunate from a business perspective is it yeah it was it was really interesting so i guess you know everybody was trying to figure out what to do at the start of the pandemic you know everybody was working from home and everyone had different challenges uh one challenge we had is that our platform became even more popular with our customers because now that all their employees were at home they they needed um our platform to communicate with them so one thing we had to focus on was performance, you know, making sure that we could match that. So that was a big focus for us early in the pandemic, just ensuring that we were scaling uh, for that level of growth. And, you know, often you can project out how you're going to grow and, and you in, invest in your infrastructure and, and your software to match that. But when something like this happens, uh, any of those estimations go to window. So that was that was our challenge. But it was really it's nice to have those positive challenges of growth. Yeah, in, in many ways, it's it's amazing the world is still standing. I mean, I, I've also spent some time working in in actuarial software, like like financial predictive stuff. And companies have to be able to demonstrate that, for example, they have accounted for like ninety nine point nine nine percent of possible scenarios. And I think we've just lived through the point zero one that you could not have previously predicted was was ever going to happen to the world. Yeah. In amongst all of that, in fact, right at the start of, of the pandemic, um, you found yourself becoming an engineering manager. What was it like becoming a manager from a remote perspective? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I, I had taken a break from management, so I had been a manager for maybe two, three years, and I took a, a time out from it, and I worked as a senior engineer in Poplos, and I went back into management. So it was, it was a challenge going back into management, but probably what made it more challenging was the fact that this change happened in February and in March, everybody started working from home. So that was interesting. I had these, I nearly say romantic notions that I was going to walk around the office. I'd be kind of walking around to stand-ups, you know, listening to the conversations and inputting here and there. And I had these ideas and then it was all remotely done. And uh, that changed a lot. So now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of 
you know, dropping into stand-ups on, on sessions and things like that, which is very different. But one thing that uh, I thought would be more challenging than it was was hiring. So I, I, I had to begin to hire quite early in that role. And uh, I thought it, it thought it would be really challenging, but it turned out everybody adapted really well to it. And I actually feel, felt that candidates were actually more relaxed and they performed better and, and showed their their true selves. And there was always this thing in many in many companies uh, that to hire somebody, you'd have to meet them face to face. But that all changed. You know, people started making these decisions remotely, hiring, you know, making these hiring decisions remotely. And they, those hiring decisions were the quality and were just as good remotely as they were in person. And in some cases, they're probably better because you were getting to see uh, the true candidates uh, who were often less nervous when they were in their own setting at home. Yeah, and also by moving everything into an electronic context, it, it makes things like pairing exercises or like live tests feel a bit more natural because you're all already sat in front of a computer. It's like, now we're going to press the share screen button and I'm going to do a small presentation or do a little thing. And it it feels less cognitive overhead than like, even now the idea of going into a, a place and working on someone else's computer to demo my skills puts the fear up me. Whereas, whereas I'm like, I'm sat in front of my own computer. I'm in my domain. I, I can be okay here. Yeah, exactly. Like, so like pre-pandemic, you'd be finding a meeting room. You'd be trying to hook up uh, a HDMI cable or something to someone's laptop. But I agree with you exactly. Like we're already all on, on the same platform, say Google Meets or, or Teams or whatever it would be. And then people people just have to simply share their desktop to show, you know, their code or something like that, or if they wanted to demonstrate something. So it just, I, I fully agree with you. It made it so much easier and that helped reduce people's nerves, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to say that I think we've all cracked the likes of Teams and Zoom and we know how they all work now. But just today I was doing a uh, external presentation, um, a demo day at, at Makers where six of the groups of apprentices that I've been coaching uh, were giving their end of project demos. So this was like 70 people on a call of whom 12 different people were sharing their screen at some point. And the amount of time we had to invest to make sure we get the thing just flowing to even get through the steps on time, let alone like the share button's not working or I see a black screen, like to avoid all that, we did remarkably well. If uh, if that demo day is up by the time that um, this episode comes out, I will share a link in the chat because um, it was a really fun one to do. Uh, and it was, yeah, the ultimate team's wrangling session. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Back in the world of management, you've recently started to manage uh, an additional team on top of the ones you already were. Have you been able to build on top of your previous experience? Has that been like an easier, almost onboarding process for you with them, given what you've gone through before? Yeah, definitely. Like, like as I as I touched on there earlier, that I had taken a break from management, so then there was a lot of remembering things, you know, and I was rusty on a couple of things. Whereas this time round, you know, three years in a in a management position, so I was managing a team of seven testers. So then I took on another team, essentially, of seven testers. And it's been much easier. It's been easier because I had a vision and, and mission for where I wanted, where I want to go, I guess, with the first team. And that's very similar to what I want to achieve with the second team. And, you know, all that experience of, you know, doing the one-to-ones and the structure of the kind of meetings that I want to have, the kind of status meetings I want to have, and the, the learning sessions. I'm very much into that community of practice type approach where everybody takes some time out every week, even if it's just for an hour to get together and, and learn or share something. So all those kind of things are in place. So it's kind of following that pattern with the second team. 
And something that was useful as well is during the pandemic, I did a, a course that the company provided over a number of weeks. I did a, I think it's a, a certificate in uh, supervisory management, and I found that course very useful. So that helped around the structures and ideas as well around management. So you know, courses like that coupled with, with, with the three years of experience mm. made the transition much easier. Yeah, I'm going to bring things back to the start of, of our talk today and actually to uh, almost a throw forward to our next guest, because one of the things that I have found really valuable uh, as both a manager and a coach is actually also as well as, uh, for example, improving your ability to speak and present, but also to be to become better at listening. Um, and at Test Bash, Claire Norman pr uh, promoted a book called You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy. And she goes on about the fact that we all push for our great art our leaders to be great orators and, and, you know, brilliant at speaking. And that's why organizations like Toastmasters exist, but also the most valuable insight can be got by just being quiet and just listening to what other people have to say. No, I fully agree. Yeah. And I know I spotted that book as well. I, I noted it. So it's on my book list as well. Awesome. Well, we're, we're moving closer to the point where you're going to have to commit to a book because I, I know you, you sent me a short list of four. So you're running out of time before you have to agree to one. But before we get to that, um, what's your fourth song choice today? Uh, I hope I pronounce it correct. I think it's Bon Ivar and it's Blood Bank. I chose this to show again how your musical tastes change over time. Uh, it's one of the few bands uh, on the list that I've listed here that I got the opportunity to see in Cork. So I just got to, to see them in the Cork Opera House a couple of years ago, which is wonderful. All the other acts uh, today so far that I've had the chance to see have been in Ireland or further abroad. So it was wonderful to see them play in my home city. Well, I met you at the blood bank. We were looking at the bank. Wondering if any other color matched any of the names we knew on the tapes. You said, see, look at that, that's yours. Stacked on top with your brothers. See how they resemble That was Blood Bank by Bonnie Vere. Now, one of the talks you gave recently at the Romanian testing conference, Connor, was about as testers, do we do more harm than good? Um, sounds like a clickbait title. <laughs> what, what's the premise behind that? I couldn't agree with you more. You know, as, as I've learned more about abstracts, I've realized the value of a clickbait title. <laughs> it can open doors. And in this case, it, it got me uh, a trip to uh, a really great conference in Romania. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more on the clickbait title. It, it's a, it's a, a talk that I've been working on and I've, it's gone through various iterations over two years. Like I open with us with talking about parenting, which is something close to your own heart based on mm. our, our discussion. And uh, as a parent, sometimes, how do you know you're doing harm or good? It's a hard one to call. And, and that's what I open it with. And then it's the same as a tester. You know, as testers, we can be doing valuable work, but are we doing the, the most valuable work? Is there other work that we could be doing and how do we spend our time? And And the real premise of the talk is that my... The model I put forward is that testers, as they work in different environments, they go through various points in their career. They go through three phases. Uh, the executor phase is the first one. That's when they're often in a team of other testers. They're not uh, embedded with the developers. And they're very late in the cycle. And I call it the executor because they're often executing test cases. Uh, the partner then is often in agile environments, typically as part of scrum rollouts. The tester gets embedded 
in the team with the developers, but they still do the bulk of the testing. But they are starting to get involved in a lot of discussions earlier. They're partnering with the developers, but often they can be the bottleneck for the team. But that experience then often leads them to realize that they're the bottleneck for the team. And the most valuable thing they can do is teach the other, the, teach the developers about testing and focus on the quality culture of the team. So that's when often people will shift into the third phase of their career, which is the influencer, which you could call the coach. So now, now they could be working with one or several teams, teams and what they're working on is maturing the quality culture of those teams and, and partnering with them in that way. So that's the premise of it. And the idea is that you do more good as you work through those phases and that you do not realize it in the early, earlier stages of a cure that you could be potentially doing harm. Yeah, I, I think there are definitely some, some home truths in there, particularly when it comes to, to bottlenecks where uh, it's one of those things where we don't want to be perceived as a bottleneck, but we have to accept that sometimes with the way the team's throughput is structured, we are. And the solution is either throw more tests at the problem, wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but more like yeah, enable the team to do better work together. And if you, when you realize that a bottleneck is not the tester's problem, it's the team's problem, uh, you can move that problem forward and, and begin to solve it. And that's why uh, you also talk about the, the modern testing principles, which we first talked about on the podcast when Alan Page was on the podcast back in episode five. Um, how in particular do the, the modern testing principles help you with your day-to-day -day work? Well, I, I guess... Um, I was looking for a set of principles for a long time. And I have a blog on my website. I, I can share it with, uh, with you afterwards if you want. But I looked at loads of different sets of principles. But the one that that really resonated with me um, in, in the last number of years was the modern testing principle. So the interesting thing is I, the first team that I, I started working with three years ago, uh, one of the two teams I worked with, I, I brought the modern testing principle to them. And we had some discussion and debate at the beginning. And what we did was actually we said we created a vision and mission for what we wanted from the team and it took us a couple of sessions and once we'd done that and then we went back and looked at the modern testing principles they saw how how that aligned with where we wanted to go so it's it's useful for me with the team that when they role model a certain behavior i would say that's very modern you know testing that's very like you know you've you've role model principle five there so that's what it's like with a team to have that seven set of principles and you can say you're role modeling that principle. So that, that brings it to life then. So that, that's how I found it very useful as a manager. I, I also use it as, as a tester when I was more hands-on with teams as well. Mm -hmm. I actually need to catch up with, with Alan and Brent sometime soon because I am obviously in my current role in the process of building a curriculum for testers to help bring new testers into the workplace, um, something that I've been wanting to do, to do for ages. And one of the things is, from a high level perspective, how do you look at what it is that testers do and not just the things, the stereotypes that people think that testers do, because those two pictures are, are very different. Um, unfortunately, there are also very experienced people in our workplaces, often very senior figures who also have those same stereotypes and maybe a lack of understanding about what it is that we do or what it is that we, we should do. How do you approach the challenges that come with talking upwards to people about testing? Yeah, I agree. You made a great point there that they may have misconceptions. And uh, the one thing I found is that people are open to being, I would say, re-educated around some of these things. Uh, a lot of people, when you start to talk about it, say that it's not my background. So when you start to talk to them, they are open to 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 opening their awareness around it. As, as you go up the chain, as you know yourself, like the one thing is, 
having a, a clear vision and having a concise message is often very important. So as you go up the up the levels, these people have less and less time, so they, they want to know your message quickly. So having a vision that you can summarize quickly is good. Um, there is a book, uh, I know we're not getting to the books yet, but there's the one, uh, Leading Quality. Um, that's a very good book. And the great thing about that, it was written by two people who weren't testers, but you know, two people who started a, a business around the topic of testing and, and, and their experiences. And that's very good to have an outsider view. And, and why I touch on that is because as testers, sometimes the things we're focused on, the senior management aren't. So where their mindset is and is, is very different. So we might be focusing on why a particular bug is blocking a release, whereas they're, tra- they're looking at the bigger picture, like how do we grow as the business and mm. how is quality aligning with our growth of the business so that is not in any way being detrimental to our growth but is assisting that growth where sometimes we're too down in the weeds so it's important to step back and think about what's what's what do they care about from a very from a business perspective and the more we speak in those terms the more aligned we can become with them as opposed to being in the details of testing which which can hold us back sometimes yeah as with all of agile it's it's about shared understanding like if you if you speak to a manager and say well what do you want to know and they say well i want to know how many bugs you found in the past week then you say no what what do you want to know and they're like well when can we ship what we've got i'm like well that's that's a different question and we we can have a story about that like what what are your guidelines for when you want to ship and what is their vision for where they want to be and again talk about that not in terms of artifacts but in terms of you know team dynamics and in terms of uh, you know how and when and where do you ship and, and questions about delivery rather than sort of pieces of paper exactly we are rapidly approaching the end of our time together today and my voice is not going to last much longer i suspect editor ian's uh, finger is not going to last much longer either because i have been uh, sloppy as anything today just due to it being a very busy very long day before we get to the end of our time together though connor what's your final song choice yeah, so the the final song choice is uh, of Monsters and Men and Crystals. A lot of uh, the people who've been on this podcast over the num- last number of years, and, and I've, I think I've listened to all of them, they like the uh, Marshmallow, that act. And I think uh, they'll also like this act. And that's why it's for all the listeners. I think it's a song they'll like based on previous uh, musical tastes. was crystals by of monsters and men a band making their third appearance on the podcast we haven't got a lot of three timers um i last picked them back in episode 39 when i took over hosting rights from mark again so three times on the podcast and one more thing you can pick today connor is one book to come to the island i I think this is your hardest decision of the day uh yeah so i'm kind of cheating somewhat so i had two choices for testers and two choices for people who are in management so the two choices for testers is lessons learned in software testing it's a great book if you've been testing for a couple of years and you're in a reflective kind of mood 
Um, Explored, I'd recommend at any stage of people's careers because I think it's the best book on exploratory testing. Then for managers, Radical Candor, which is great on, on giving feedback and then the coaching habit. Uh, to touch on that coaching topic we talked about earlier. So I've said four books there, but if I'm going on, on the island, I have to pick one. So I'll pick Lessons Learned in Software Testing because I think it's the book that had the most impact on me on a personal level at a point when I was at a, a fork in the road in my career. It, it helped me down a very positive path. So I'll go for that one. I agree. It's a book that's long overdue to appear on the island bookshelf. Uh, going back to what we said in the last section, like it's, it takes the theory of testing and replaces it with actually these are what our real world experiences are uh, from a variety of different voices, uh, long overdue and a number of great books there. I will link to all of them in the show notes because three of those four are within my arm's reach. They're literally on the bookshelf next to me. And the fourth one, The Coaching Habit, seems like the sort of book that I should be reading. I have other coaching books right here, but um, that one will be added to, to my personal list as well. And all of Connor's songs will be on the Spotify playlist that is uh, rapidly growing as we continue the march towards episode 100. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast tonight, Connor, and, and taking some time to spend with me. Thanks, Neil. It was a really enjoyable chat. So I really appreciate your time. We covered a lot of different things. If anyone's interested in talking to you, especially around setting up meetups, where's the best place for them to reach you? I, 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 the, the two social uh, networks I use the most would be Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is probably my preference. It's Connor Foy, so it's easy to remember. And Connor Foy is my website as well. I wanted to come up with something, a more interesting brand. I wanted to become the rebel tester with, with a kind of a connection to, to Cork. But uh, it's it's already taken on Twitter. So I went for the very, I think, somewhat boring Connor Foy, but it's easy for people to remember. Yeah, and it's going to be as easy as clicking the link that's in the show notes uh, if you'd like to get in touch. Um, I've also put a link in there to uh, MOT Cork so you can see what's coming up. Have you got any other confirmed events coming up before the end of the year? I am working on a talk at the moment. It's uh, essentially testing myths in in the age of uh, misinformation. Uh, it would kind of it would be a title like that. And I'm earmarking it for an online conference uh, next month. And uh, when it's all confirmed and all that good stuff, I'll share it on, on Twitter and the like in case people want to pop along and listen to that new talk that I'm working on. Awesome. And the call for papers is now open for next year's Test Bash UK, which is going to be based in Cambridge. I also have the dubious honour of being the first person to buy a ticket for that event because I bought it when I was talking to Diana on the last episode. I was like, oh, tickets on sale. Get, 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 get it, get it, get it. Because I wanted to get the super extra duper early bird. So tickets on sale, call for papers open. I have an idea for one that I'd like to do. I'd taken a step back for a while, but I've been through a period in the past sort of 12 to 18 months where I changed jobs four times and I think I have a story to tell there. So I'm crafting some slides and a narrative at the moment. Um, so uh, possibly some new talks coming from me soon as well. Otherwise, I will be back on the podcast next month as announced uh, with Claire Norman. And uh, thank you very much, Connor. Yeah, thanks, Neil. And thanks to all the listeners. Thanks indeed. And we'll see you all next month. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.